0: Yo, it is another episode of the High Hopes Podcast as we are coming to you, sadly, after one of the more frustrating losses of this Philly season. We'll get into that and what's coming up ahead. I'm James Seltzer with me, as usual, the uh, the young talent himself, Mr. Jack Fritz, the, the self-proclaimed young talent.
1: Jack Fritz,
0: Fritzy, what's up, buddy?
1: You're right. No one else thinks that. Only myself. I'm. It's completely in, in love with myself. Um, <laughs> it's. Been, tell you what. Just about a a horrible weekend of Phillies baseball. Uh, it was a bad. It was a bad Pavetta day, which I I didn't appreciate the the Pavetta day. But we're not going to talk about the Pavetta day. Uh, that that was erased from our memories. No one remembers the Nick Pavetta bad start because um, everyone was focused on. Other things, of course. But then today happened, and I, I, I cannot proclaim how much I hate Hector Naris and, and how little I trust that guy in any big situation ever. I cannot stand him. I want him gone. I want Zach Britton to be our closer in about two months or get Sir Anthony Dominguez's ass up here because he is crushing it at AAA. I, 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 I am not enjoying the Hector Neris experience at all.
0: <laughs> don't get on Jack's bad side, folks. He will just dismiss you immediately. Um, yeah, look, I, I think we've talked a lot about in this show that neither of us are you know, 100% solid with Hector Nares being a great closer, even a good closer. He's fine. I think he's a, a decent pitcher. I don't think they have to get rid of him. I, I just think that I, I don't think he's a closer. I don't think he's got the what it takes to to succeed in the ninth inning and he his stuff looked, is fine. It's just not it's not great. James, uh, James,
1: James, he never looks confident. He never yeah, looks like Well he's that's a problem. Com- like he, he,
0: he he used to look confident when he would come in the seventh and eighth inning more. It's just in the ninth inning he never looks confident.
1: Every time he th- every time he goes to throw a fastball, it's just like, oh I hope this is ninety four on the outside corner. It's like everything he throws is like I hope. I hope but, like, instead of with any kind of conviction, he has no confidence closing out a ball game at all. And it's more just, like, wishing that he closes out a ball game rather than, I'm here to finish this right now.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think the mentality isn't there. And, look, I think to, to say bring up Sir Anthony Dominguez might be a little short-sighted as well. I know he's been good in the minors, but that doesn't mean he's just going to step into the ninth inning of Major League Baseball and dominate. That doesn't happen that often. But... You never know. Look, I, I think you're at the point where I, I think the if this team stays competitive for the next month plus or whatever, then I think you start to think about trading for someone who's got a little bit more of a closer pedigree. And look, there are going to be teams that are, are – it's not just Zach Britton who's going to be on the market, but I'm sure he will be. But there will be other guys out there. You know, There are a fair amount of teams who will be out of it who have guys at the back end who would be better options than Hector Neris. Uh, I, but I'm with you. Look, I, th- I, I don't have any confidence in Neris closing out games. I, I, but the problem is, as you've kind of alluded to, there's really no one on the major league roster right now who is that kind of guy either. I, you know I mean? Like who, let's assume that Sir Anthony Dominguez is not the option. The first option to bring a a kid who's never pitching the majors up to be your closer. It doesn't happen very often. Like I said, so uh, with that in mind, like who do you think could take over that role? If, it gets to the point with Hector Neris where, you know, you just have to take him out of the role, which, which look, two or three more bad outings and that's going to happen.
1: I think, uh, I think Luis Garcia always had a little bit of a closer profile. I kind of trust him. Like when I'm, when I'm looking for a closer, I'm looking, this is going to sound so like stupid and horse racy and not like analytically driven at all. But like, when I look at a closer, I kind of look in their eyes and 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 certain guys have the look of a guy that I can trust in the ninth inning. Like, Craig Kimbrell is always a guy that I always trust in late in games. Even Jonathan Papelbon, I always trusted him. Like, he just has a look of a closer. They're a different breed. They're not your usual pitchers. Hector Neris has never had that for me. And I think Luis Garcia has a little bit of it. And I know I know this guy has good numbers, but I wouldn't trust him in a situation either. Edibri Ramos, I wouldn't trust him as a closer either. Even though he's he's doing really good things, I would just leave him in his role. If I had to choose someone else, it would probably be Luis Garcia at this moment. But I was just looking, just, you know, we floated out the idea of Britain and another closer to the deadline. How much do you think it would take to get Rocio Iglesias from the Reds?
0: Um, I think he would cost more than Britain. He's under team control for a little while. I, I yeah. believe he's a better pitcher right now. I don't know if he's better than a healthy Zach Britain, but Zach Britton's not healthy, so... Uh, Riceel, I believe it's Riceel Iglesias. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Are we going to get into
1: uh into our our, our pronunciation? Well, of, in of, this of case, players? I
0: think I'm actually right about this one. I, I think but, it's Raciel,
1: but I don't know. Whatever.
0: Regardless, Iglesias for the Reds is quite a good pitcher, and I'm with you. Look, I would love to get a guy like that. I I don't know what it would cost. I think it. You know, look, the Reds are rebuilding. I don't know if Iglesias offers them that much real value over the next three, four years when they're not going to be very competitive. It's what's the point of having a lockdown closer if you're not going to compete, at least if it's someone you think you'd really get something for because he's cost-controlled for a while. So, uh, you know, I, I look, I think that's the type of names they should be looking at. They should be looking at teams that are out of it, that are rebuilding, that have no use for a guy like that, who they can actually have for a few years if they're going to give something up for him. But look, we've also seen the other side of that where, granted, the players the Phillies haven't gotten, and we'll get into your buddy Vinny Velasquez uh, at some point here. But, you know, tr- trading m- multiple assets for a closer, Ken Giles, doesn't always work out great. And look, you can flip it around and say Kimbrel's been good two out of three years for Boston, but also had a terrible year. They gave up some good assets. Man, Mel- Manuel Margot, I'm not a huge fan of, but, um, he, you know, he's probably long-term worth more than a closer. But um, regardless, I'm with you on the, the point of, and I don't know if I get as as rudimentary as I look in their eyes, man. <laughs> um, but I do. I, I agree with your point, and I've never agreed with analytics and stat guys and all that in this department with closers. You know, the Keith Laws, of the world are always like you bitch, put anyone back there and they'll be fine. And, you know, read the, whatever they pitch, their numbers, and it's not like that. Like you need you need a you need a certain a certain mentality to be that guy in the ninth inning. There's a certain like living on the edge kind of vibe that those guys have that, you know, they want to be out there at the end of games. They want to be the guy to close it out. You need that mentality. And I totally agree with you that you don't see that at all from Hector Naris. You see a lot more deer and headlights look in close games in the ninth. And Grant is a guy who got the save on Saturday, but even on Saturday, it was a kind of a high wire act and, you know, needs the, uh, the pickoff uh, play and all that stuff. But, um, Back to kind of what else we saw. I think we could both agree that Hector Nair is not the long-term answer in that spot. And I think Tommy Hunter, veteran guy, you know, probably the best pitcher in the bullpen, theoretically could do the job, but has never really played uh closed too much in his career, but has a few saves on his resume. But I'm with you. I think more likely than not, the guy who will be the long-term answer, or at least the answer for the second portion of the season isn't on the roster at the moment. But looking at the the rest of the weekend as kind of a a barometer, Mark. You know, you lose two or three of the Nationals. That Sunday game could have gone either way. Arietta pitches great. Look good again. Pavetta, like you said, we're willing to give Pavetta a uh, a missed start off type of thing. He, he didn't even start. I don't know what happened. I'll, I'll roll with that.
1: I was uh, praying. I,
0: I do think I'm intrigued to see how he pitches against the Giants, a team that's played much better than I expected. And in a bounce back kind of spot. But look, the guy in the middle, you mentioned it. And the the, the only pitcher who actually got a win for the Phillies this weekend, somehow, some way, Vincent Velasquez, five innings, only one hit, does allow four walks in there. But the one whip is better than normal for him. Looked a little more relaxed out there. But it, I'm assuming it does nothing to change your mind on Vincent Velasquez.
1: Uh, I mean, not totally. It's just that he... he He's now become dependent on he needs to get his, his off-speed working early, and that's what happened Saturday in his start. He flashed a really, really nice uh, spiked curveball, which I don't think his his other curveballs have been spiked. Uh, I think his curveball that, that I've been ripping for the last two years has not really an above-average pitch uh, has been more just a, a, a typical curveball. He did flash a spiked curveball on Saturday, which I'm mildly intrigued by because it did have – a harder bite to it. I know. I know. pavetta has been messing around the spiked curveball, and I wonder if they learned this from Arietta because I think Arietta came over with a spiked curveball. Um, if, if Velasquez can get a little bit harder dip on that, I'm all in. But um, it's still he's still a two pitch pitcher. I don't trust the changeup yet unless he starts splitting it. Um, and still, and like his fastball, lo- his fastball location was a little bit better. But again, I mean, it's so much little factors that have to go into a good Vince Velasquez start. It's the it's the off speed, good feel for it early in games, and good fastball location. When he doesn't have any of that, he's still he's still crappy. So like, it's it's just so hit or miss. I don't know what what, what Vince Velasquez I'm gonna get, uh, but it feels like it's one good start mixed in maybe once a month or once every four starts.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm still far from ready to to give that guy any sort of benefit of the doubt. Someone I will give the benefit for the doubt too. I, I will uh I will say I was wrong uh in the past when we've discussed Aaron Nola and I've for a while now saying he's a legit ace, but he's an ace. He's he's a number one pitcher. I didn't think that his ceiling was quite that high, and I, I'm surprised that he's already reaching it. What have you seen from Nola this year that makes you believe he's taken that leap?
1: Well, it's a change up. It all it all comes down to the changeup. He's throwing it more. It's a legit Weapon now that he can use when it's a two-one count instead of throwing a fastball, he can just throw that changeup in there, and it's the pitch tunneling. He is uh, he is he is starting balls in 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 certain areas that are starting in the strike zone and then going out of the strike zone. Um, he is starting fastballs on the outside core. He's he's hitting the outside corner with his fastball, and then once hitters see that and you see they see him painting that over and over again, then he can start to uh, extend the zone and he's throwing like 92 just a little bit further outside the zone, and guys have to swing at that because he's been hitting the outside corner all day. The, the hitters have to adjust to him. Um, it's, the, it's the impeccable location. His curveball is the second most accurate curveball in the entire uh, game besides, uh, behind Corey Kluber, which I think is super impressive. Uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a borderline elite pitch ever since he's gotten into the league, but really what has raised him to this next level is the changeup uh the changeup is that third pitch that that moves a different way than every other pitch it kind of moves like his like his fastball but it's it's uh 12 miles an hour less so hitters just don't know what's coming he is he is just nibbling the corners and then as soon as he's getting those calls in the corners he's extending the zone just a little bit more i know it was against the marlins this week but he was hitting 96 which none of us ever saw coming out uh his his ceiling has certainly been raised like it, You can't really argue against him being a top 10 pitcher in the game right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think top 15 for sure, top 10, it could get into some, some, you know, kind of some people prefer some some guys over other guys one way or another. It's kind of a, a close call, but I think top 15 you can say without a shadow of a doubt and probably, you know, you could make the argument top 10. It's really, it's been a shock. It's been very impressive, especially considering, you know, what, you know, everyone expected him to be for him to develop kind of into what he is now, but do it so quickly. You know, he got up to the majors quickly. He's still so young. It's really been impressive. He's such a smart pitcher as well. Another guy, let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball as a guy who I'm not saying I'm wrong about. You're like doing victory laps a month into the season, but Mike Franco has played better, had a really nice series in Washington, a pair of home runs leading the team in that department. An 856 OPS, which is good. You know, it's very good, especially for him. The the batting average up to 283. Not quite enough walks in there still. The OBP at 321 is certainly great for him, but not great overall. But um, what have you seen out of Franco that makes you think that that's allowed? And it's, it's also just partially that that's your personality and you will jump on the opportunity to gloat at any opportunity. But what makes you think that this is something that's actually going to continue over the course of the season? Because as I've said to you many times, I'm not back on Michael Franco Island with you and Joe Giglio and all the other Franco sycophants until I see it for a full season for longer than that. Like I, he's, he's burned us too many times. What makes you believe this is going to continue?
1: Hold on. Let me just finish, uh, letting this cigar that I just, that I just, that's
0: what I'm saying, man. <laughs> Jeez. Listen, man, <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know why you hate fun so much, but
0: <laughs> what is...
1: yes, I hate
0: fun. That's a very good call. Good
1: like call. you're, you're just so, you're so mad that you're so wrong about Mike Kelly. You can't even, let, can't even let me and Angelina and Joe Giglio just have a little bit of fun without trying to poo-poo it. Um, I think it's, this is going to sound so uh, like analytically driven, but it, it does come down, I think, to me, the launch angle. Um, whereas last year, it was, he, he was hitting balls relatively hard. I mean, we talked about the exit velocity all offseason, but they were just on the ground. Like He was just smoking balls into the ground. Now those are turning into into fly balls, and and that has coincided with the spike in home runs and the RBIs. But that's not the only thing. His his I think it was what second or third inning hit off of off, off yeah the
0: single off Scherzer was an impressive at bat.
1: Like you just like honestly when he had, whenever he was got two strikes on him, it was like well this at bat's over like because he has no he had no chance in in two strike counts, and that's kind of where I'm at with Jorge Alfaro where it's like. Two strikes is on him. Guess what? Here comes the strikeout. Um, Franco, it seems like he's he's being more selective. He's kind of just spitting on balls on the outside of the plate. Now, I know he he did get a hit on a ball outside the, or on the other side of the plate. Um, but for the most part, he's looking middle in and just and looking to pounce on those pitches and just spitting on the other stuff. Um, and that's important. It feels like he actually has an approach this year than in, in years past. I'm not going to say I fully fully trust him because of the obP and and that kind of stuff, but I think he's a a good player that should play every day, and really, the thing that I've been most impressed with is that he's starting to get a little bit of that swagger back like he looks like he's playing with a little bit of swagger in the field. he's flashing the leather, he's firing balls across you know it's 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 look good, feel good and and Mike hell right now. It just feels like a guy that's so confident in himself. He's so confident in everything he's doing that it's it's hard not to, to be excited for the potential of, of Michael Franco.
0: Yeah, look, uh, I, I, he's definitely been great in the field. I've I, I definitely noticed him whipping the ball across the field, played good defense, been in the right positions. And, and he's hit the ball well so far. Again, you know, the 283 average is nice to see. I think you hit on the point that – I need to see that OBP go higher, especially for a guy like him to really start to buy into the approach being, you know, something that, that can continue long term. But, you know, I, I I agree with your points about exit velocity and the launch angle. And that's all you know, the stuff you want to hear. And and he's had as good a start as you could hope for. So, you know, I'm not poo-pooing on the potential. I'm just saying that we're a month into the season and that's far too small a sample size based on this guy's history for me to believe that it's going to continue. But look again, you, you, you have to be happy with what you're seeing so far from him. And, um, I, I did, I thought that at bat against Scherzer was really impressive at bat and was definitely not the type of bat you would see from him, you know, in years past, you just hope he doesn't revert. Cause we've seen him go through streaks and, and then revert still, uh, you know, still opening up at times, uh, hitting do yeah. a, a few too many big double plays, which I think just sometimes makes me a little frustrated. But I'm with you. Look, he, um, again, I, I'm not ready to, to proclaim uh, Franco Island, uh, you know, the uh, a safe haven or whatever you want to say, quite yet. But it's certainly a uh, a positive start to the season. Well,
1: I I think the fact that I think the fact that the launch angle stuff is working, the close stance stuff is working and he's he's seen the results early is very important like if, if I don't know its it, it, it seems harder for him to regress back to his old ways if the stuff that they're teaching him has been working so far
0: yeah I, and I think that's fair. I think that's a fair point that you know you would think so, and I think that melee has made a difference for him i think um you know, having a new kind of sheriff in town from that perspective, and look, we all knew that 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 Franco's relationship with Pete McCannon wasn't good, and and then McCannon didn't know how to handle him, didn't know how to motivate him, didn't know how to keep him engaged. So, you know, I, I think, look, you, they're, they're all positive signs. You hope that the, there are things that can continue, and he's been really good so far for them, and they've needed him because they really have struggled outside of the, you know, the four guys we always talk about or the three other guys we always talk about, him being that fourth guy. Ode Bull Herrera, again, we still have to, to – Comment on 36 straight games on base. That dude is just so freaking good. I know everyone hates him, but, uh, <laughs> but we love him here at Dio's. Fug, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it was 35 today was 35 straight. So let's, right, let's, I thought it was 36. Today. It's 35. Yeah. 30, 30, 36 will be tomorrow. That's what okay. that's tomorrow. Okay. Um, no, I mean every day in and out he is, he is providing good defense, getting on base, Hitting the ball hard, he was three for four today. When two of those hits were doubles off of Max Scherzer, and, and still, and still, people want to run him out of town. It's just like, what is so hard about love? I, I don't, I don't know. I think he's just a good player. I don't want to harp on the whole thing like we did last week, but like, just I, I, I hope people are beginning to appreciate the stuff that a the brings to the dish every single time he goes out there. And even recently in center field, I've noticed. Quicker to routes and stuff, and he's only getting better out there. The guy's 26 years old. He's batting in the 330s with like a 400 OBP, and I—it's just you—you don't hear a peep about that until he does something stupid or a doable. He is. Uh, uh, this is this is a take. Uh, uh-huh. I'm sorry, but this is this is this is the truth. He is the modern version of Manny Ramirez in the sense of in the sense of it's just Manny being Manny and you live with the good, which is obviously the third best right-handed hitter of a generation. Um, yeah, yeah the- I,
0: I get the take. It's He's like Manny light, light, light on both ends. He's not nearly as boneheaded as Manny was. He's not nearly as lackadaisical as Manny was. It's just amplified in this city, especially like we've talked about because he was really the only guy worth caring about on the team for three years. But... Um, I, I get the comparison. I think as a, a loose comparison, makes sense. Like you said there, though, like, you know, Herrera is a terrific, terrific, terrific player. He is not Manny Ramirez. He will never be Manny Ramirez. He, talking, does, he doesn't have that ceiling no, as no, a Manny Ramirez.
1: I'm just talking about Manny being Manny. I get of, it. It's a, it's, a, it's
0: a very fair comp, but I think that's my point. I think Manny was worse from that perspective, and I think you're able to deal with more because he gives you more. But I think Manny was even worse from a Manny being Manny perspective now, than, than Herrera being Herrera.
1: Now I never I was, you know, I was young in 04 or during Manny's heyday. How did a city like Boston handle Manny Ramirez? Like you they, lo- you they loved him because he came
0: up with huge hits. That's the thing, is like they they were smart enough to realize that that this guy wins us titles. This guy wins us games. Like whatever yeah he's an idiot we'll rip him when he does something stupid but then they're gonna walk David Ortiz and he's gonna hit a grand slam because he did it every time they disrespected him like it was just man he was a monster and, and you know he was more it's funny because he I think he was less well received in Cleveland when he did that stuff for those playoff teams because they were a really um, I mean they were great teams those 90s teams and he wasn't the best player on those teams you know there was Albert Bell there was Kenny Lofton there was Carlos Baerga, guys who were better players at the time Jim at their Tomey. age. Um, Jim Tomey was there. but um, So I think when Manny did stuff there, he wasn't necessarily the best player on the team. I think it's easier to get away with stuff when you're a, a Hall of Fame caliber player, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, the, the, it wasn't that I think that Adubel is as good as Manny Ramirez, but it's the same thing. It's the oh, no, no, same- no.
0: I think it's a very fair. I didn't mean to poo-poo the point. I think it's a very fair comparison. I just think Manny was worse. Um, well, yeah, and I, mean, and I think uh, that Aduba just kind of hammers home how ridiculous the Herrera takes are here.
1: Well, Duba would never cut off a ball from the center fielder and then try to throw it to third base.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, he's not. I mean, uh, Herrera is a, a ten times a better fielder than Manny. Manny was a terrible fielder. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, you know, but regardless, nice, yeah. nice, little, nice little tangent there. Uh, all right, anyone uh, offensively you want to kind of mention before we move ahead and look ahead to what's coming up this week? Uh,
1: I guess I'll talk about Altair. I mean he, he had a really strong week this week. I think he's bat, I think he batted three fifty this week. Uh not a great series down in Washington. Um, but getting him going, I mean I mean Nick Williams has sat twelve out of the last fifteen games. I don't think they're remotely interested in making Nick Williams a part of this team. I think they I think they, they realize that the highest upside of the offense is having Altair in right field, a doable in center, and recent left field. I just think Nick Williams doesn't bring the upside of Aaron Altair. Uh, defensively, is the first point. I mean, Aaron Altair is a really, really good defensive player. Uh, Nick Williams is not. The bat is slowly but surely starting to wake up. Another guy whose bat is slowly waking up. I mean, shocking. Uh, Carlos Santana hits some mm-hmm. balls hard this week. Uh, he had a homer last night, Friday night. Friday night, the yeah, And a
0: triple on Saturday,
1: and he had a he had a big double today in you know, a losing effort. Uh, it seems like it's starting to pick up for him a little bit. Um, but other than that, it's the usual guys. It's, it's Herrera, at it's Cesar. Uh, Reese had an up-and-down week. Uh, it was a bit of a frustrating week. He's striking out a lot. A but, ton. Uh, but still, it came up As big- the
0: whole team was yesterday or today, yesterday when people hear it, but for us today, but
1: Max Scherzer
0: certainly was mowing him down.
1: Yeah, he's ridiculous. His, he's
0: ridiculous.
1: I don't understand how he's never really had arm problems, because... Uh, usually, the guys that have the—how uh, do I explain this? Like, basically, when he goes to finish his motion, he has a really violent downward motion. And usually, the guys that have that really violent last-second uh, downward finish to them—they have a lot of arm injuries. Like Joel Zamaya, that comes to mind a lot. And for him, with the, with the amount of 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 ferocity that he puts into his changeup and pitches like that. I'm just blown away that he's never really had, knock on wood, because I don't want Scherzer to get hurt ever because I, I, I think he's so underappreciated, but I'm shocked he's never really had major arm issues.
0: Yeah. No, he's uh, he's well put together. He's a big boy too. Um, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, no, he's uh, he's the best pitcher in baseball right now. I think that you could say that pretty unequivocally, especially with Kirsch on the DL right now. But even before going on the DL, I think Scherzer – in the moment has surpassed him in terms of, you know, if I had to pick one guy to win a game for me, I think it would be Max Scherzer right now. Um, All right, big week coming up here as uh, seven games in seven days for this Phillies team. No rest, Jack. We have baseball every day, which is a beautiful thing. Four games against the San Francisco Giants, then the Mets in town for three. A nice homestand. This team needed to come home uh, after, you know, a losing road trip. You mentioned it when we talked the other day, the, uh, the chance for this team to lose four straight series, which happened with the loss in Washington. They lose the series to Washington, the series to Miami, the series to Atlanta, and then, of course, the Diamondbacks. So, big week of baseball here, Jack. It's only maybe you want to see this team get back on track and start to win series. The San Francisco Giants coming in at 19-15. Uh, and 15. Actually, surprisingly good baseball being played out in San Francisco. What's your take on this Giants team coming in?
1: Yeah. Uh. I don't know. I feel like it's mostly fools, fools gold. Uh, I don't like McCutcheon. I don't like. I don't like Evan Longoria. I've always hated all of their hitters because they're just so. They're just the. They're the biggest collection of most boring hitters in the in the entire game. I'm not interested by Joe Panic at all. I Brandon Belt is on my he's dead to me list (laughs) for many many fantasy baseball problems. Um, Like Baumgartner's out. I understand. Like Posey's obviously awesome. I think Chris Stratton's hurt, which isn't very fun. I like Chris Stratton. I don't know. Like, it feels fool's gold. It feels like they're hot to begin the season. But much like the Mets, they're going to start, start folding here pretty soon. I, I don't I don't trust that team at all.
0: Well, and that is, of course, the uh, the matchup this week is the Mets coming into town to the Mets sitting in 17-15. I'm with you on the Giants. The Giants in 19-15 just beat up on the Braves this weekend, which was nice. Not but fun. I'm with you. What was that?
1: About time someone beat up yeah, on the Braves. Yeah, thank
0: goodness. But um, I'm with either. you. This is a team that doesn't scare me at all when you look at how it's constructed. Just a, a bunch of old dudes is, you know, the way you kind of look at this team. Andrew McCutcheon, really unexciting at this point in his career. Brandon Bell, great point in terms of fantasy in the sense that People always get excited about that guy. I think we're finally at the point where people just don't care anymore and know that he's going to hit like 17 home runs when the season's over. He'll have like eight in April and May, and then, uh, you know, eight in each month, and then will hit one more the rest of the way. That guy's infuriating. But um, I'm with you. Not a lot to fear Longoria as well. You mentioned Posey. Obviously Posey, a good player. But the Giants get it done. Bruce Bochy's a really good manager. They find ways to win games. So while I agree with you that um, – I'm not super scared. The pitching matchups aren't that intimidating either. You're getting Jeff Samarja, Derek Holland, theoretically Chris Stratton, if he's not hurt and, um, and Ty black. So there's no one to really fear, but still, you know, I think there's a big spot for the Phillies at home to, to get back on the winning track thoughts on the Mets coming in Friday through Sunday. looks like we will see Cinder The, I should say the Matt Harvey Mets.
1: See ya, Matt Harvey. I literally, I just, I can't believe his fall from grace. Like, Matt Harvey started an all-star game. Yeah. He was was unreal. Like, him, watching him and watching Jose Fernandez on a a night-in, night-out basis was must-see TV. And I guess he couldn't handle the New York lifestyle. I mean, obviously, he couldn't handle the New York lifestyle at all. Um, I can't believe it's gotten to the point where they cut him. But I guess he's just such a cancer that it's just not worth having him around, and it makes sense. I mean, he, his, his quotes after games were just hilarious. Uh, as a Phillies fan, and I'm sure as a Mets fan, it was like, dude, just cut him. Like they, the Mets literally must have listened to the fan as they, as they, they, got calls about cutting Harvey, and we're like, you know what? They finally make some sense. Um,
0: yeah, it's but- actually pretty funny. My buddy, uh, my buddy's a Mets fan, and he texted me a month ago. And said the Mets need to cut Matt Harvey. And I was like, that's ridiculous. They're not going to, you know, we're a week into the season. They're not going to cut Matt Harvey. And lo and behold, he was right.
1: Yeah. And, uh, well, it looks like to begin this week, we have uh, an important Eflin start tomorrow night. Uh, See if he can build on his impressive performance down in Miami. And then we have a Nola night versus Derek Holland, which, I mean, like just bet the Phillies that night. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, big bounce back Pavetta versus Stratton start. Hopefully Stratton pitches. Uh, that could be an intriguing matchup. I like Chris Stratton a lot. And then who cares about Ty Blatch versus Vince Velasquez? Just just couldn't be less interested in uh, <laughs> in that matchup on Thursday afternoon. But uh, it'll be fun. They need to get on. They need to get back on track. I think they realized that. Uh, I, I was impressed with the way they fought down in Washington today. And really, the the most frustrating part about today for me and you and guys who support Gabe Kapler. Is that it was a really really good Gabe Kapler game. He pulled yeah. Ari- he pulled Ariad at the right point. He he put in Nick Williams at the right point. Uh, and even though I I really really don't like Nick Williams, I I like him a lot as a as a as a uh, pinch hitter off the bench. He's I think he's batting like 350 as a pinch hitter. So he seems to know what to do in that role. Uh, it was just the bullpen that didn't get the do- that didn't get the job done today. Uh, it was a really really good Gabe Kapler day to day until the end, obviously, and really. If you win that game today, it, just, it feels like it could get you kind of rolling a little bit. Like, we just beat Scherzer. We came back against Scherzer, against the Nationals. Like, we can kind of get on a little bit of a roll. And then blowing a game like that, it's just like, man, that's, that's, that's a deflating loss. I could see them losing tomorrow night. I hope they don't. I hope they have some resolve. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come out flat coming off of a, a, a really disappointing loss down in Washington today.
0: Yeah, I feel you on that. You feel good with San Francisco having to travel across the country to come into town and play you. So that that is something at least. But I'm with you. It's a tough spot uh, coming off that loss. It was a game that really could have made a difference. You're you're you know tied for first in the National League East. If you win that game, you've taking two of three against the team that has dominated the division for the last half decade. It would have been a big win against Max Scherzer. I'm with you. Uh, And it's also a shame, too, though, because I agree, Kapler made all the right calls, but a shame that the game played out the way it did, that he did have to burn Arietta after only 75 pitches. The way he was pitching, it really felt like he could have kept rolling for at least a couple more innings at the pitch count he was at. He was really efficient with his pitches. Um, so I thought that was a bummer too, because it was absolutely the right move. It bore out. They, you know, Williams, it's an RBI single. They end up getting three runs that inning. It was the right move. It's just a shame that kind of luck didn't bounce that way. If you know what I mean? Where you could have gotten a couple more innings at Arietta potentially and, and not had to worry so much about, you know, giving up runs with Tommy Hunter at a, a, not a perfect outing like usual, uh, you know, um, Adam Morgan struggled a bit and, and they end up giving up a couple runs and putting Hector Neris in a spot where he can, Walk in the tying run and then blow it. So uh, uh, yeah. either way, it's certainly a very frustrating loss. I think you could argue that, um, you know, other than opening day, this might be uh, the most frustrating loss of the season to date. So yeah,
1: and and I and I, I don't want to lament the loss too much because it's 162 games, but uh, I do want to talk about for one second. I know you like you want to go to bed, but I don't really care because I want to I talk. So about So
0: want to go to bed, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I, don't,
1: you, I, I honestly I, I really don't care at all. Um, yeah, we don't care about anything. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought Arietta had a really, uh, really good bounce back performance after the Miami game earlier in the week. Uh, he, he had really, really strong fastball location, and that kind of sets up everything else for him. And he's finally locating his off-speed much better. He was throwing a little slider. It was either a slider or a cutter. It was cutting really, really hard into left-handed hitters. They couldn't really figure it out all day. I think what we're what we'll learn with Arietta much like we learned with Vince Velasquez is it it comes down to fastball location for him. Uh he didn't have it the other night in Miami. He was all over the place. He wasn't locating anything. Today he had it. He he looked good. It was a really really I I needed that start to kind of qualm some of my some of my Jake Arietta fears. And what I thought was interesting the most is that the Phillies have talked a lot about how Aaron Nola is now working on inducing weak contact he's obviously kept the strikeouts up he had seven K's against the Marlins but Arietta is not having the same K success and I wonder if they're kind of working on soft weak contact more than the strikeouts with Arietta. but that's one thing to monitor
0: yeah I think that's something to monitor only two more strikeouts today 20 strikeouts and 28 innings for Arietta. so that is certainly something to keep an eye on as look if the if the results work who cares but I, I do think you've noticed it with Nola too that outing in Miami where he did have seven strikeouts but he did he induced a lot of weak lineouts like a lot of like weak fly balls to right and left field that um, you noticed it was one of those things where it just felt weak coming off the bat so uh, I think that's clearly something he's emphasizing as well um, Jack uh, any final thoughts before we uh, we get this week started right seven games again in seven days we'll obviously be back probably before the Met series to, to reconvene and talk some more Phillies, see what happens in San Francisco, but any final thoughts until then, Fritzie?
1: Well, I think Thursday, uh, me, you and Marks will all be in the studio and hopefully we can do a little mailbag or something of sorts, uh, with all three of us there. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, haven't had a review in like 10 days, which is just mildly terrifying for me. So if you could please leave a review and let us know your thoughts on the podcast, because it's, it's been too long. I just I just want to know if people like what we're doing, and uh, yeah, it's it's an important home stretch. Uh, take four, take, give me three or four against the Giants. I'll give you tomorrow night, but then but then win three straight. Just just for me, uh, and that's all I gotta say.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, three or four is necessary here, and and um, I uh, do the reviews for Jack because he's mentioned it to me like six times over the last ten days, and it's getting annoying for me. So, do it for jack and uh and uh we will talk to you again later this week all right so for fritz for the absentee john marks i'm james seltzer we'll talk to you later this week